Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast, episode number 271 with Kim Hammer. How are you, Kim? I'm good. It's good to be here, Dale. Yeah, now we were having a great chat before and it's always nice when you you feel the energy with somebody else and you align with the values that, you know, you're, you're spreading in the world and you're trying to bring it out. Um, so before we get into the chat today, what was the highlight of your last seven days, Kim? What was, if you could pinpoint one thing from the last seven days that you were pretty proud of or it was a grateful moment or something cool, what would that be? That's actually very easy. I just finished celebrating our 40-year high school reunion. Um, that I was a part of organizing. And so I got to see some people who I haven't seen in 20 years or some people I haven't seen in 40 years. So it was absolutely fantastic. We had three days of events. Um, That's why I'm a little hoarse uh, because, you know, you're talking to everybody (laughs) celebrating. Exactly. Exactly. So that was a very easy question for me. Wow. That's um, just, I know we're going to get onto the podcast, but I Mm -hmm. really enjoy that because um, I think my 20 years coming up and okay. I don't know if people are organizing it or not, but 40 years was, was there still a big core group or like, what was it like? Yeah, we had, we, we I went to a very large high school um, in a small town. So we had about 500, I think it was 513 or 14 uh, graduates. Yeah. We had 112 wow. people show up uh, this weekend. So it was really, you know, it's nice to see people who you haven't seen, who you've always adored and reconnect with them. And every, every 10 years, you know, people change their life experiences change. So you get to have some interesting, more interesting conversations, deeper conversations, you connect on different levels. And the funny thing is now we're connecting our kids. It's like, Oh my gosh, my son wants to do this. Can you help him? He's like, sure. So it's, you know, because a lot of our kids are college age. Um, So yeah, it's, it's really fun. It's really interesting. A lot of people won't go. Um, and because of various reasons, and a lot of people do co because of various reasons. So it's, yeah. it's always nice to see who shows up. It's probably one of those, uh, really curiosity sort of moments, you know, like you're curious to see how everybody's developing in 10 years, yeah. even though, even though you see them at like 10 years is a lot, like a lot can change it, in it 10 years. A lot. I'm yes. sure it'll blow your mind, particularly 40 years yes. from when you finish school. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. I love that. So if people are listening, it's probably a good opportunity to reach out to somebody that you may not have spoken to for a while, because mm-hmm. I think just by doing it, um, it gives you feelings and emotions uh, that you've achieved something. And it's always nice for people to get that comment and, and call as well. So Kim, I love that. Well done for organizing a 40 year reunion. Um, I Thank am you. Going to, that's going to prompt me to do maybe my 20. I, I think that's uh, okay. I'm going to take good. it from today. So now before we get into everything, I could introduce you, but I think you're going to do a better job of it. And um, particularly, <laughs> particularly what we're going to be talking about today, like there's going to be so many positives and upside, but there is also going to be, you know, talking about cancer and loss and things like that. So um, I reckon you could probably introduce yourself better, Kim, to the audience. And <laughs> I, 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 is that okay if you do that? No, that's absolutely fine. Sure, oh, sure. Perfect. So my name is Kim Hamer. And um, back in 2006, my husband was diagnosed with large B-cell lymphoma, a very aggressive form of, of that cancer. Um, at the time, we had kids who were four, seven, and nine. Um, and my husband was an athlete. Um, we ate organic. You know, we were really sort of careful with our health, but that doesn't, you know, guarantee that you're not going to get cancer. 
So he spent seven months uh, kind of trying to untangle, disentangle himself through that journey. And then less than two years later, it came back and he died four months after the diagnosis. And a couple of things happened during that time was one, I really learned about what an amazing community we have and how people came and actually communities we had been in because we'd lived all over the United States. And so we had people, you know, reaching out to us from our home, you know, place when we lived in New York state and when we lived in Las Vegas and when we lived in North Carolina, um, we had classmates reaching out to support. So it was really amazing to know that we had to learn that we had this incredible community. The second thing I learned is most people don't know what to do or what to say. And so there were those who just took action that was extremely helpful. There was some action that people took that wasn't so helpful, but by and large, it was incredible the amount of action that people took and the things that they did. And after my husband died, I started to kind of think about, you know, a couple of years later, I started to think about, well, there's lots of books out there for people who have cancer and how to get through the journey and information, but there's virtually no information out there if you're the friend of the person who has cancer or the coworker of the person who has cancer. So that kind of gave me the idea to write this book called 100 Acts of Love, A Girlfriend's Guide to Loving Your Friend Through Cancer or Loss. And it's not just a girlfriend's guide. Guys can read it too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I, but I wrote it with the idea of two things. One, I wanted people to know how simple it is to help because I think sometimes we make it really complicated. People think, you know, you have to deliver meals for the next five months and you don't. And I also wanted it to be really, to be something that people could open up right away and just you know, just kind of get it done. So it's a really easy book to read. You know, you open up and, and tip number 40, act of love number 48 says, you know, be her bathroom stalker. And what we're talking about there is be the person who supply, make sure there's always toilet paper in the house and shampoo and razors and tampons or whatever else they use in the bathroom. Because when you're in crisis, the simple things that you used to do all by yourself become almost like, it's like climbing Mount Everest sometimes. And so when people can come in and just take care of those simple things for you, it's really helpful. Um, and then during my journey, this journey, I went back to work and I went back into the HR field. And what I noticed right away is that when employers get, when employees get sick, employers don't know what to do either. HR yeah. teams are often ill-equipped other than legal teams. And then, you know, employees, uh, you know, and, you know, managers don't know how to handle an employee with cancer. There's a lot of stereotypes out there. You know, when we say cancer, most people think bald, you know, lose no facial hair, right? Lose a lot of weight, but that's just the result of certain kinds of chemo. Cancer is being treated in so many different ways. Um, and a lot of people are working through their cancer treatment, not just because they can, but sometimes because they need to, they need to keep the income coming in. So I set out to really help managers and HR leaders understand how to be supportive, how to be empathetic, and also how to continue productivity on your, on your team. Because it's something that we think that a lot of people just don't, you know, most managers think I have to be extremely empathetic and sympathetic which means I can't ask them to get the work done. I can't be mad at them if they don't meet deadlines. I can't do these things. And that's actually not true. There's a way that you can mix the two together so that your employee who's dealing with this crisis, whether they have cancer or their partner or child has cancer, whether that employee is feeling engaged and, and relied upon in some ways. And they also have expectations about the work that they need to do. Um, and everyone on the team understands what those expectations are. So I'm now um, in the space of helping, of coaching and providing 
providing resources to managers and HR teams to help them manage employees dealing with cancer or really any other kind of health crisis. So that's sort of my intro. Well, and Kim, you've done a brilliant job of that. And I'm glad that you introduced yourself because there's so many things I want to take away from that. And I suppose just the most recent one there is that what you're really saying is when people are diagnosed, they, they still want a purpose. And that's, and that's probably the biggest thing because the rest of their life has gone into chaos, essentially. And it's you yes. know, a lot of times they can't control it. They've got no limitation about anything else. But what they can control is the way they're valued and the purpose they have at work. Um, yes. When you, when you go the complete other way of being extremely empathetic and say, oh, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. You sort right. of take away the one thing they have essentially. Yep, exactly, exactly. And that's the thing. A lot of times, you know, I've had um, places where the manager's trying to help. And what they do is they remove all the favorite, all the best um, projects from the person who's dealing with cancer. And that is one of the worst things you can do. And I get why managers do it because they're worried that this project isn't going to be completed. You still have KPIs. You still have goals you need to meet. You're still responsible for your team. But when you take something that, you know, that fun and engaging away from the employees dealing with cancer, there's two things, the message that you send. One, you're incapable. Right. And so I'm going to deal with a stereotype of what cancer is. And so you can't do it. And two, it sends a message to the team, which is if you have a really big health crisis, don't tell them because they'll take the fun stuff away. Yeah, that's right. So you, you, yeah, you end up, you end up actually decreasing employee engagement and an opportunity when you have the opportunity to increase it. Yeah. And, And not only that. Other people learn from it. Like we're all sponges, do you know what I mean? Even, right. you know, we call yes. kids sponges that they, 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 they emulate and take everything off parents. Well, co-workers are the exactly. same. If they see someone in a crisis, they're going to, you know, and it's just going to be everyone a closed book. They're not going to share. And you really lose that authenticity and the vulnerability that occurs when you can build a team through those sort of situations. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now with, with obviously going through a huge loss like that, you know, it, it can sort of go either way, Kim, you know, a lot of people will never sort of come back from that, but you have done something above and beyond and you've gone incredibly to help other people. Um, how hard was that to sort of transition from, you know, sort of loss and feeling sorrow and things like that into such a, a positive thing that you've created? You know, it's, it, it's gradual. It wasn't like the day after my husband died, I said, Oh, Hey, I know what I'm going to do. Yeah, I'm, sure. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't, <laughs> you know? So I, I think, I think it's, it's, it's a very gradual process and it began to frustrate me. You know, when I was going through this, there were, and we'll talk about like, what's the least helpful thing you can say. Um, but when I was going through this process, you know, after dealing with his cancer the second time and his death, um, I, I became frustrated really with how many people didn't know what to say and what to do. And then it was what I realized is if I, if I had been my friend, I would have been clueless, mm. right? I wouldn't have known what to do or what to say. And I wanted some way to capture that, to really make sure that I could remember it. And I cannot tell you, I mean, people joke, but I have my own book, of my, a copy of my own book that is dog eared. And, you know, the, the, you know, it's just, I'm just, you know, it's got the, the dirty thumbprint on it from my kind of, you know, doing that thing where you go through the pages really quickly Correct. Um, where I, you know, I have a friend who's, you know, daughter died or, you know, whose husband just lost his job or they're getting a divorce. And so I use my own book as a tool to, you know, sometimes I use tips out of it. Sometimes it's just really great for me because it, it, it provides this creative juices for me to figure out other ways to support them. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, it's, I, I often say this, you know, I'm not here because I'm super strong or super brave or any of that. I'm literally here because of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things that people did for us while my husband was sick and after he died. And so it's sort of my way of paying it forward. Mm, I love that. And I talk a lot about kindness and how contagious it is. If you allow it, it to be contagious, Kim, like yeah. anything in life can be whatever you want, but if you're not looking for the benefits that particularly, you know, oxytocin gets so much of it when you do an act of love or kindness, and it's not just what you're giving to the other person, you actually feel better about yourself. Um, exactly. Yeah. So for you, but, but what I, what I like, at the start, you probably weren't in the right headspace. I know you wouldn't have been in the right oh, no. headspace to even to even understand that. Um, but what I'm saying yeah. is like you should be so proud of what you've been able to do to to change oh, that mindset you. because like it horrible. Like life's really unfair and it's not fair. Do you know what I mean? But now yeah. that what you're doing is you're sharing that and embracing really what people were able to give to you, and you're now giving it back to others, which is brilliant. So Obviously, we're talking about the positives there and kindness and how amazing and people listening, it's the best thing ever. What are some <laughs> things, what are the things that you don't say? Because this I think this is yes. more than kindness, Kim. Where not to start. Like we can get to, yes. to so many amazing things, but what not to do. So there's a phrase that everyone has said. And if you're listening and you've said it, take the stick, hit yourself with it once, and then throw <laughs> the stick away. So the phrase is: if you need anything, let me know or any type of variation. Hey, I got you if you need anything. Give me a call if you need anything, whatever the variation is. And the reason it's not helpful, there are three specific reasons. One, what is anything? It's way too big a word. It's way too, it encompasses too much. I had a toddler when my husband was first diagnosed. Did that anything mean that you were willing to go pick up my sick vomiting toddler from preschool and bring him home? Or did that anything meant you were happy? <laughs> right, exactly. Right, right. <laughs> or did you like willing to go out and get a gallon, gallon of milk from me? Right. So anything is too big a word. The second reason it's not helpful is because you are now asking the person who's in crisis, who is already overwhelmed, to take apart their day and to find that one thing that you might be able to do for them. And, you know, when someone says to you, do you like if someone said to you, Dale, hey, do you need any help with anything? Yeah, I need, probably go, with, um, I need a lot of help with a lot of things, Kim, but I don't want to burden somebody. <laughs> I don't want to burden anybody. Yeah. And and to think of something specific, you'd be like, um, can you take the garbage out? Like, like yeah. you know, you just can't think of anything big. So you're leaving that, to, you're relying on that person who's already in crisis to figure out the one thing. And let's say that they do. Then it's exactly what you said. They then have to have the courage to reach out to you, to ask you to do something that you may not even want to do. And feel like it's a burden, right? Oh, we know correct. you offered, but you know, it's seven o'clock at night. And actually what I really need right now is pasta. Cause I just realized I ran out of it. Yep. So, you know, I, I, that's a burden on somebody. And so there's no way that that person is going to call you. So a lot of times when you make that offer, you can make it twice or three times. People will not respond to it. And that's why, because it's just too hard to get around all those three obstacles. Mm. So what I often tell people is be specific on what you want to help with and offer more than once. Um, the book is dedicated to a gentleman named Kinney, K-I-N-N-Y. I live in LA and he is at several farmer's markets, but I used to see him at the Venice farmer's market. And when I told him that my husband had cancer, he said, if you need anything heavy moved, let me know. And I thought it was the weirdest offer. Honestly, I was like, yeah. that's just weird. Like everyone's been telling me, do you need anything? Why would you like offer heavy? But the thing is, 
it stuck in my head, right? So we had a grand piano. My husband had died. I was thinking about rearranging the living room. Who do you think I called? Wow. Right. Because I remembered. So the more specific you are and the weirder it can be, I mean, it could be someone like if you're feeling really sick and you need someone to hold your hair while you're, you know, for a woman, if you're vomiting, let me know, come on over. You know, if you're, you know, if, if you need, if, if you need your piano cleaned, let me know if you need your toilets cleaned, let me know. And then offer more than once, because again, that person who's dealing with this crisis, whether it's them personally or their spouse or their child or whatever, they're not dealing with a full deck of cards. So you have to remind them again and again, that you're willing to do it. And oftentimes they will call you because they'll remember, or they will call you because they thought of something else that they need that's connected to what you offer to do. Um, so it's really helpful to be specific and to offer more than once. Yeah. That, and, and I'm sitting here going, Oh, Dale, you peanut flock. I have, I, I have done that. And I bet so I'm many people you. you'd get this all the time. I bet, that's a light bulb moment for me. And that's why I yeah. love doing podcasting because I needed to hear that right then, because essentially yeah. what you're saying is when you do that, you're basically giving a person that has no control over anything in their life a to-do list. They can't yes. manage that. Like they, exactly. they've got no way of processing that. And it probably builds more anxiety, stress. Like exactly. Instead of helping yep. them, imagine if 20 people, well, I don't know how many people did that to you, but I can imagine quite a lot of people like that's horrible. You feel like instead of all these people are helping, they're actually making life harder. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's another thing I often say, please don't say you should. Like, first of all, you know, you should do this. You should do this because should is a judgment. So it means that you know better than this person and you don't, unless you're in their shoes, unless you've had some type of experience, but also you're putting the burden on them to do it. And so instead of saying you should, you can say, Hey, you know, have you thought about this? And if you haven't, I'm happy to do it for you or to do the research for you or whatever it is. But you're right. People often don't think about how they're putting one more thing on somebody's plate to do when they really, you know, they, they, they don't have the capacity at all. Yeah. But even, even what you're saying there, you should, you, you can't say that to anybody because people, people won't do it. They're only going to do yeah. something that they feel is a good idea and they want to do themselves. So exactly. Like, and, that, and that's somebody not going through trauma. Like if you're right. Imagine with your kids, you know what I mean? You should do this. You should, they're like, mom, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Like whereas yeah, maybe exactly. you painted a different way and they think it's a good idea and they come to the conclusion themselves they will do it. It's, it's exactly it's, it's so basic, but that's exactly what you're yeah. saying, isn't it? The basic yeah. is what we need to get right. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And it is basic, but I think the thing is we've not been taught. Mm. No one has, we, you know, I, I thought I maybe missed a class in high school because I skipped a few classes in high school. Right. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, did I, did I skip a class where they taught people this? No. You know, we learned this from our parents and our parents didn't know what to do, what to say. Some parents do. And of course, you'll find that people who have been through similar tragedies or something where it's very difficult, they're going to be the ones who are going to show up on your doorstep saying, I'm coming in, I'm going to clean your toilets. I bought the own, my own cleaners, just stay out of the way until I'm done. Right. Yeah. So, you know, they're the ones who came in and, you know, who said, you need to put a cooler by your front door because that way you don't have to be home for meals. And I was like, oh, that's Yes. Right. Because 
I, there were days Art and I didn't want to answer the door. We loved people. We wanted, we were happy to see them sometimes, but sometimes we were so exhausted and we always felt like we needed to be responsive to them when they dropped off a meal because they always wanted to know how we were, what was going on, the latest update. And sometimes we just didn't feel like talking to people. And so having that cooler by the front door was such a godsend. And that didn't happen until the second cancer. Someone, ah. the first cancer, I was always answering the door. The second cancer, we had a cooler by the front door. Well, so it was just really, yeah. And so it's small little things like that, that really make a big, big difference. Mm, so true. And, and what you've probably find as well is that people uh, sometimes they, like we were saying, they don't know what to say. So by seeing a cooler, they probably feel more comfortable anyway. So it's probably, you know, yes. helping both ways. Like I know personally, yeah. I love trying to do things for people, but I don't want to have that awkward conversation or when, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable for everybody and that person's capacity to take in whatever I'm going to mumble out isn't, is going to take right. away from the nice meal or, or whatever I've given to them. And so I'm sure right. people, that cooler is such a smart idea. Yeah, it was a brilliant idea, but there's so many other ways to help with food. I mean, I, you know, I really want people to know that meals are great, um, but it, for us, it got to the point where we were too many meals. Like I just couldn't, like we, you know, we had a free, we had two freezers full of meals and we were like, you know, like, and, and of course people, you know, it was a family of five, but people cooked like it was a family of 10. Um, and so and, and they, everyone, met with, exactly, exactly. That's exactly what it was. The, so the joke was about the second month after my husband died, my kids were like, mom, no more lasagna. Like we're done. No more lasagna because you know, we were getting lasagnas all the time because they're right. Because you can cook them, you can freeze them and every lasagna tasted different. So they would be all excited about one lasagna that someone else would deliver a design lasagna that wasn't as good. And they, and they were just done. Yeah. Um, so lasagna is funny, but you know, you can look grocery shopping needs to happen. And, and a really helpful thing to do is to, if you can go to the grocery store with the person or open up their cabinets and see what brands they buy yeah. and make a grocery list with the brands so that anyone else can go grocery shopping for them. Because not everyone eat, not everyone has almond milk or oat milk or, you know, there's so many milks out there, right? Oh. So, you know, they, they want this milk with almond. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So instead of sending them, instead of sending the friend to the store for milk, they know that they need to get unsweetened vanilla milk, you know, almond milk from silk, right? So yeah. that they know that. So that's a really helpful thing that you can do that helps pass, helps, helps everyone else who wants to go grocery shopping for them. Um, at work, you know, there's a lot of things you can do at work. If there's a person who constantly, who's, you know, running a project, you can ask what parts of the project can you help them with? Um, you know, if there's someone who's constantly running meeting agendas or taking notes in meetings, you can be that meeting person and you can be, you know, if it's a manager who's not doing well, you can ask what part of their job do they, you know, can you help with? Can you take on just a little bit for them? Um, so there's so many different ways that you can support. And that's why I wrote the book because it's, it's all in these different sections. Yep. So it has car help and food help and um, help with kids and help with um, help at work, help if you don't live nearby. Like, what can you do if you're 3000 miles away? Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things. So I, I really hope that people will expand from the food. Food is easy and great, um, but it's, there's so many more things that you can do. 
And it's so true. Like there's so much more to life than just eating. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and like we said before, you know, like tampons, toilet paper, shampoo, yeah, soap, razors. Exactly. Razin, you know, and exactly. People probably feel awkward buying things like that, but that's the thing. They're the ones that go missing and they're not on the, they're not on the shopping list. They're not on the capacity to think of those. Exactly. And that's what people need more than a lasagna. Exactly. And I always say, look, if you are the toilet paper supplier, she or he may still have to waddle to go get it. With, the, with, their, with their pants around their knees, but at least they'll know there's a role in the house, right? Because there's nothing worse than like, now you got to go to the kitchen, get paper towel, you know? <laughs> or tissues. Uh, so- or tissues. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, people, I, I've had people listening to this and that is so true. Um, we've obviously your mentality and mindset changed and you wanted to use the, what you'd experienced to help others, Kim. Did you like include your three kids in this process of, you know, what they'd experienced and then how you could use that to pay it forward. Um, was that, was that something you did together? Um, no. So my kids were young when my husband died, they were 12, nine and seven. Um, and my, what I, what I did see happen with them is they end up kind of paying it forward to other people. So my oldest, um, he was a senior in high school when one of the football player, he was a football player, one of the football players committed suicide. And so he, you know, the football team was like, what do we do? And my son was like, here's what we're going to do. Um, and so he was really helpful to them and showing them how to do it. When I talked to my kids, the, the thing that kids really wanted back then was they, my youngest put it the best this way. He said, and he was, he had just turned seven right before my, like two weeks before my husband died. And he went back to school and he said, I want people to know that my dad died but I don't want anyone to treat me any differently. Mm. And, you know, for children, it's really hard. Um, one, because their friends also don't know what to do or what to say, right? They, mm. they don't, they, you know, they're trying to help them out and, you know, I'm so sorry and let me help you with something. And they're just as awkward as any adult. Correct. And, um, and they also, the kids don't want to be treated special all the time. You know, they don't want to have someone be like, oh, no, he can't he can't come over because his dad died or, you know, he can't do this because he's sad. Um, you know, they, they want to kind of go on and have their life. But then they then they want their friends to go to stop and go. I don't want to talk about my dad in front of you because I'm afraid that it'll make you sad. And they want that open kind of conversation. Um, so they weren't particularly helpful because they didn't, they did not want to talk about it. Mm. I think now that they're young adults, my youngest is 20 so that, you know, he's in a very different headspace. Um, and I think if I went back to them and said, Hey, like, let's write a kid's book, they would probably be like, okay, we can probably write some things down now. Um, but, but back then, you know, they were young, they were, my youngest was 12 when I started writing that when the book was published. And so he wasn't really interested in, you know, in, in talking about it at that point, every year we had a conversation. Do you want me to go in and tell your teachers? Right. Because so, you know, it was a form of embarrassment and it made them different and kids don't want to be different. No, right. They want to be like like other kids. Yeah. And like, I'm just seeing, I'm an ex teacher. I work with a lot of teachers and, um, you know, and loss is something that is just a part of school communities. And, um, the one thing I find Kim is that we try and, like you said, we try to make a kid feel special, but that's the complete opposite of what they really want. They don't want the limelight yeah. on them. They don't, they no. just want to go back to being normal and yes. by probably putting the limelight on it. It's really reminding them that, yeah, I've had a loss or someone's gone. Um, what, 
why don't we teach this in schools? Because I know when, you know, when a kid passes away or there's a suicide or something like that, they go into crisis and it's so reactive. Do you know what I mean? We're, we're yeah. going in and we're, and we're dealing with trauma instead yes. of, instead of, you know, building up that resilience. So when this does happen, that you don't need to deal with the trauma because they've got, they've got the education and the understanding behind them. Exactly. Does this drive you crazy? Because everything it, you just it, said, sorry, I'm not letting you talk because I, everything you've just said, Kim, is like it's what we need. It's being, instead of algebra and these things that we never use in life, that's a real life right. skill that is crucial. Like no one yeah. needs to know what A squared plus B squared is C squared. Like that's, <laughs> That's not going to help you in life. This is there's a, like there's a lot of carpenters who would be very angry at you right oh, now. Sorry. But yes, no, no, but I I think I think I think the same thing happens in the workforce, right? We have yeah. a death in the workforce. Uh, someone dies on site. They bring in crisis, you know, counselors who are on the workforce or in, in, in building for ten, you know, two to three, four days. Then they disappear, and then it's like nothing happened. And so, you know, I think our conversation around death in general is not a good one. We're afraid of it. We're afraid to talk about it. We're afraid to discuss it. Um, our, our, you know, a conversation around illness. Um, I think that COVID did a great job of making, of crossing those lines between personal and professional. So I think it's a little bit easier to have those conversations now, but again, in the workplace, which I mirror as the school, because I think there's sometimes there's so many similarities. Yeah. There's a lot of fear about having those conversations, right? As a parent, there's a fear of, I don't want my kid coming home and asking me if I'm going to die because I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to discuss it. I don't want to talk about it. Um, and I don't want them to have nightmares for you know a few days. I don't want them to be scared. Um, and I think that we forget that kids approach death very differently from us if they've never seen it before. Mm-hmm. You know, my kids didn't realize that my husband could die. It didn't cross their minds because they did not know anybody with cancer. Mm. You know, in fact, I love telling the story. So my husband was diagnosed on a Friday and we were going to tell the kids Friday night. We thought, you know, let's just leave it. Let's tell them Sunday. So we had a family meeting and my husband is, you know, wants me to tell them. And so we sit them down and we say, you know, your dad has cancer. And my dad and my husband starts to cry and I start to cry and everyone starts to cry. And then all of a sudden my oldest, his eyes get really, really big and he looks at me and he goes, but what's cancer, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> they had no idea. We hadn't had anyone in our lives have cancer. So, you know, we preempted this whole sad thing about cancer. They didn't know what cancer was. And I mm-hmm. think as a parent, we often forget kids don't know, you know, and kids now know much more about death than they did, but they don't really have a very clear idea of what death is. And also their idea of death is age related. You know, it's up to age seven. The kids don't understand. That's why we use death and not sleep because that does scare children. They're afraid that they're going to go to sleep and not wake up. Wake up. Um, but you know, we, you know, my, it was, it was not unheard of that seven-year-olds will ask, when are they going to be done being dead? Because the idea of permanence doesn't, it doesn't fit with the, who they know. My seven-year-old, we went to eye doctors and he would tell everyone, my dad's dead. And it was his just kind of, I don't know what he was doing. I'm not sure, but it was his process. And he would, you know, see how adults acted, reacted to it. Um, but again, I just think we don't, we don't do a good job of discussing it. We don't do a good job of honoring it. I think we're really afraid. You know, one of the things I often suggest businesses do when they lose an employee, when an employee dies, is that they hold their own memorial service. 
because going to the memorial service of an employee is really important and it feels really good. Um, and the other people in the office, we all need a service to kind of close things up. Um, it's really important that everyone get the opportunity if they want to, 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 to say goodbye, to have that closing. So I often suggest that companies have a memorial service optional attendance um, because it helps the employees close the ring and it also helps them feel heard and, and, and engaged with, right? Because imagine like someone dies in the office there's only the service. Everyone comes back to the office. Next thing you know, this person's desk is all cleaned out or, you know, the computer's picked up from the house and that's it. Or there, And there's some conversation of, oh, John did that. Do you know where that file is? I mean, talk about not feeling seen or heard. The, the mm. fear is, oh my God, I'm going to leave this job and no one's going to remember me. And we all want to feel like we're being heard and seen and like we have, like somehow our lives meant something. And so that's an incredible way to honor the employee, but also to give that message to your employees that, hey, you know what? You matter to us. Yeah. And when you're gone, hopefully not by death, but when you're gone, we are going to miss you. Yeah. And, and not only that, Kim, but it also... Because if you go to, you know, the memorial or whatever, that, that's more about their life and their family. Whereas what you've experienced them at work or at school or, you know, wherever you are. Yes. So by giving everybody that opportunity, if they want to speak or they want to remember yes. in that situation, because, you know, when you go to the, the proper memorial or whatever, that it's not about work. It's not about school. It's right. It's about exactly. their life and particularly the family. Yeah. Yeah, and which it yes. should be. Um, yes. I, th I think these are little things that, you just don't think about, um, you know, so with writing the book, do you find that there's so many aha moments for people? Because like you said, you've created <laughs> it that you can just pick it up at any stage for any situation that somebody might be going through. So is there any story or one moment that you're like extremely proud of, or is there a few like the, that aha moment or that it's just changed somebody? Well, you know, often when I get off the phone with a manager, they're like, oh my God, this is so helpful. They have, they get this sense of, you can see they're short, they just, they sink, they go, oh, <laughs> like they're so, they're so excited that there's some responses that they can have that are helpful to them um, that will make them feel like they have power and ability to make something be a little bit better. Um, and I think that's really where we're all coming from is when we get into crisis moments, we feel powerless and we are, I mean, we can't bring someone back. We can't change cancer, you know, unless you are the scientist who's working on the, you know, the study that's, you know, getting it done. You know, we can't make their, their we can't bring a spouse back. We can't bring a child back. We can't, you know, undivorce, you know, get someone back together with their ex. Um, but what we can do is we can witness them. And I think that we forget there's a lot of power in witnessing somebody. And what I mean by witnessing is just sitting with them and letting them, you know, just saying, hey, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. And let me clean your toilets or let me, you know, I'm at the grocery store. What five things do you need right now? Yeah, and I think specific. that's usually yeah, that's, I think that's really what, what I, what I hear a lot from managers is this feeling of, I feel like I have power. I feel like I can actually do something that's going to make a difference. Um, I feel like I can teach my team how to make a difference. And I hear that from friends. Like I hear, you know, this is so great. Like now we can really go in and love her the way we want to. Um, and so it's a lot of times it's, it's a lot of times what I'm, what I end up doing is giving people permission to act. Because they're worried about act, they're scared about acting. But when I have conversations with them, they have permission to act. 
And then that gives them the courage. Cause this is, you know, y'all, this is like, this is courageous stuff. This isn't stuff that is easy to do. And it's, and it's scary to go to try to help someone because you're afraid you might do the wrong thing and cause more damage. You're afraid you're going to make yourself look like a fool, you know? So it takes courage to step into that role and say, okay, I'm going to try this. I don't know if it's going to help, but I'm going to try it. And that courage just has a lot of has a lasting effect on people's souls and on their hearts. Oh, so true. So true. And um, what you're, you're saying, you know, when, when people start a business or saying, I'm not trying to pigeonhole different things, but if you try and please too many people, you end up going to please nobody. So being specific, and I, people can't see you nodding along here, Kim, but isn't that so true? Be specific, like Kinney, you know, with anything heavy. That's, yes. I love that part. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it is. And, and, and make it something that you're willing to do. You know, you don't have to look, I am not a cook. I don't like to cook. I don't enjoy it. I, I, (laughs) (laughs) well played. Well played. Because you used to like eating it off it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but you know what? I'm a great grocery shopper. And that one item that's not in the store, I'm going to go to the grocery store manager and find out when it's going to be delivered. And I will be at the store when the truck pulls in, right? Like I'm a really good grocery shopper and I'm proud of that. I don't volunteer to cook meals, you know, because it's not in my wheelhouse. So make sure that when you offer to do something, it's something that you are, it may stretch you a little bit but don't do something that's uncomfortable that you think that they need that you don't like to do because it just becomes a burden. That's exactly what you don't want it to be. You want it to be a gift. It's an act. I call it an act of love because that's the way people, that's what it felt like people were doing when they, you know, I changed the oil in your car. Here's an act of, because we love you. I'm taking the kids to the movies on Friday night because we love you. It was all these acts of love. So you want to consider it as what you're doing is an act of love. Mm -hmm. And so you want it to come from a place of, I really want to do this for you. So here's an act of love. Yeah. And that is because saying love in different contexts is so powerful. Do you know what I mean? Like kindness is beautiful, but when you love, you're generally doing it from your heart, like from deep inside you and you're doing it authentically is something that you are proud of and you want to give back. Um, I think that is brilliant. So where I know that you've got a lovely giveaway with the five. uh, Do do we have time to talk? Do we have time to talk about one quick other thing? I would love, so, I'd love, you got the, you okay. got the microphone, you can go for it. Okay. <laughs> so I do want to say there's a lot of people out there who are trying to help and the person who needs the help is refusing. So I want to address that really quickly. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a couple things. One is, you know, they may not need the help that you need. So if they're refusing, you might want to try to think some, something else and you can ask them, but don't give them tons of choices. You know, it's like, do you want chicken or lasagna for dinner? You know, do you want Tuesday or Thursday night? And that's it. But so that's the first thing. The second thing is it's really hard to receive. And I know that we all love to give and we're like, oh, I'm really good at giving. And most of us are really bad at receiving. So keep that in mind when you're giving, when you want to give to this person, they are on the receiving end of a lot of people wanting to give them. And it is overwhelming. It is really overwhelming. And so something that I tell, I often say, and my friend said it to me is, you know, you have to remember 
that, you know, there's a law of reciprocity, which is if I give to you, Dale, let's say I give you 10 bucks because you say you need to borrow 10 bucks. You're going to make sure you give that 10 bucks back to me. And you're going to feel really bad if you don't I will. in, a certain, I really in your own frame. <laughs> right. Right. And, and if you don't give it back to me, you might be like, yeah, here's 15. Cause that's all I got. And just take it. Right. So it's a, because I gave it to you, you feel you have to give back to me at the same level or higher. That rule is what person who's receiving feels like. And so sometimes you have to remind them that they're not on the, that side of the law of reciprocity. They're on the side of giving back. People are giving back to them, right? That the way that they smile at security guard every morning makes other people happy. So I'm giving back to you. You know, a lot of times it may not even be about them. It may be about the time I was really crappy and mean to this other person. And so now I need to make up for that and pay it, pay it forward, right? Or make amends. So I'm going to make amends by giving to you. So um, if you, if the person you want to help is really struggling with receiving help, just remind them that they have given you something and mm. that you're really giving back to them. Because oftentimes that's the re that's one of the biggest blocks. Yes. And, and so it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can just be like, you know, the way you always say good morning to me before you, or the way you will exactly. smile at me. And then it really gives them a reason to accept it. It's yes. so simple that it's, it's like being specific with what you're offering, but then also justifying it, not for you. Like you don't need to justify of yourself, but for right. them to make them not feel like another burden. Exactly. Exactly. Oh. That is, that is exactly it. Wow. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> Kim, I love doing this podcast because I am selfish and they are too. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll be brutally honest. I, it's no, so I'm simple. with you. Yeah, like it's so simple. Um, I was going to ask you, and is there one thing that I have missed out? And that is brilliant that you have allowed to share that because, you know, that justification for somebody will make them feel okay and they'll be able to let it go instead of keeping it on board and thinking, now I owe this person, I owe that person, I owe this person. It's the last yep. thing you want to do and you're not trying to do that, but that's what people's mentalities are because oh, we yeah. don't like to receive. We don't like yeah. that, but we need yeah. to be able to learn to do that. But some people yep. struggle with it, so you know, a little gesture of why that's important. I, I love that. So exactly. where can we find you? I know you've got a, a brilliant giveaway on five questions, um, but also the book. Like, let's be honest. Yes. Like, if I download something for free, go out and buy the book. <laughs> Let's go. Real so the book, the book is on Amazon and it is titled 100 Acts of Love, A Girlfriend's Guide to Loving Your Friend Through Cancer Loss. You can also go to my website and buy it directly from me. Um, and that's at 100actsoflove.com, the number 100. And the free download I have for everybody is five phrases never to say to anyone with cancer and what to say instead and why they're bad things to say, because I think it's great. I can tell you never to say, but I think it's really important that people understand why that what they're saying is not a good thing to say, and then to understand what they can say instead. And excuse me, it's really meant to be sort of a launch pad because next thing, you know, what we need to touch into is why are we saying what we're saying? Are we saying it because we're really scared and we don't want it to happen to us? And so we're like, Hey, be strong, you know, yeah. <laughs> just kind of, you know, <laughs> or are we saying it because, you know, we really care about this person. We want to do something that'll make them feel at least a little bit better. So that, that understanding why we say what we say is really important. So that's a free download. And then people can always find me at, um, you know, info at 100 xoflovecom my email address, 
or you can reach me on LinkedIn. I do a LinkedIn Live every Thursday where I answer clients' questions. So if you have a question about how to help an employee or a friend or a sister, just message me. And um, I usually always cover a question per, per live. So please message me and I'll be sure to answer your question. Well, I love that, Kim, because let's be honest, if you're not curious about the everything we've spoken about today, you're naive because you are going to face something like yeah. this in your life. You don't know when it's going to be. So by putting in the work now and being prepared, not only will it help you, but it'll more importantly help the person or the, the people in your life that need it and don't need your crap questions about exactly what mentioned today, you know, and, and that's yeah. really what you should be doing. And that's why you should be reaching out to Kim. So if listeners are out there, episode number 271, go to the show notes. I've got everything that Kim has just mentioned today, reach out to her. Kim, have you got one final thing now? See so your finger up. I did. And that is, I really want people to know that they matter. I think that's really important. That's what this book is all about. Like I said, I'm not here because I'm really strong. I'm here because a lot of different people said what I do for Kim and her family matters Mm -hmm. and they showed up. And I really want people to know that it doesn't have to be the, you know, I talked about this earlier. You don't have to do the, the grocery shopping for five months, but just acknowledging what they're going through makes a big difference in someone's life. So what you do really matters. So just please remember that. Well, I love that. And I think that the biggest takeaway I've got is be specific in what you're offering and be specific in why you're doing it and, and why, and why you want to help that person. Not, not just because someone's passed away or something's occurred. Uh, It it is so simple. Like, and and there are things that you can use in all parts of your life. Be specific about what somebody means to you and and why you want to help them and, and things like that. So Kim, Thank you so much for today. Um, Thank you. As I said, I I am selfish with my podcasting and I was really (laughs) excited for this one, but I'm so (laughs) grateful that I've had the opportunity to listen to you and learn from the amazing work you're doing. So keep inspiring and, and just helping so many people because this is something that we all need help with. Thank you so much, Dale. Really appreciate you. Appreciate you reaching out. And this has been a great conversation. 